the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and questions about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible we talk about world views and world religions. And, of course, we talk about the past, history. We talk about the future, prophecy. And we talk about the here and now. And sometimes they come to a sort of a perfect storm. And CBN News is um, reporting that a famous author, um, she claims that the Bible is a work of fiction It ignites a social media furor. I'm going to talk about that uh, here in just a moment. But if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And, of course, Billy Hollowell, who is a well-known journalist and reporter for CBN, um, talks about this article that's posted at CBN.com. And um, basically, she writes on on a January 11th X post, um, she says, this is Joyce Carol Oates. Joyce Carol Oates writes, the Bible, as you call it, is a work of fiction, or rather an anthology of fictions. It is not the, she uses the in air quotes, the Bible for much of the world's population. And those who claim it as their own select those verses that appeal to them while ignoring other verses. She writes, fertile ground for hypocrisy. And um, what's interesting about her statement is that it's entirely false. The The Bible doesn't claim to be a work of fiction. It, it claims to be a work of fact, and it, it is rooted and grounded in history, archaeology. So for many, many people, this author is no exception. Many of them have toyed with the idea that somehow the Bible is a joke. Um, how do I know that the Bible's not just mythology? How do I know that the Bible is a fairy tale? Now, I'm using the term fairy tale much like fiction. In other words, it's it's uh, it's a it's a work of imagination and not rooted or grounded or connected in history and fact. Well, the charge that the Bible is nothing more than a fairy tale or a book of nice stories, that it's not new. 
The Bible is undoubtedly the most impactful book the world has ever known, transforming innumerable lives. So why then would the question of whether or not the Bible is a fairy tale uh, be a legitimate one in the hearts of so many around the world? I'll talk about that. 303-873-1935 is my number. If you'd like to join me on the program, and of course, producer Jim is standing by to take your call at 303-873-1935, and would love to hear from you. But from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, we read the story of God's design to redeem a fallen world. With God as its inspiring author, the Bible is the world's greatest work of literature, And throughout the ages, multitudes have spent their lives proclaiming its truth. Many, in fact, have made the ultimate sacrifice so that others may simply hold in their hands a copy of its pages. Now, I find that this is so ironic that so many people have sacrificed so much to bring a Bible. And yet you can go to any thrift store and get a Bible. If you have a smartphone, you can download not just a Bible, but literally you can download thousands of, of, uh, of translations I'm in, in the sense of in a number of different language groups. Take, for instance, the top 30 languages in the world that are spoken in the world, and you can get it right now. Just go to your app store. So the Bible has also been the most criticized, the most viciously attacked book in the history of humanity. The Bible's been banned and burned and mocked and ridiculed and defamed. And many have been put to death for simply possessing a Bible. But still the idea that the Bible's a fairy tale persists. Again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. The prince of this world has been blinding people to the truth since the beginning of time. Satan began his work on earth by calling God's word into question. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what's interesting about Genesis chapter 3, people think it might be, a work of fiction or a work, a fabrication in order to explain the human presence or the human condition. 
But everywhere we look, false teaching is rampant. I know not many people get their information from television. You may get it from radio, books, magazines, Internet, schools, universities. It's interesting where information can come from, from churches, from Christian colleges, from not-so-Christian colleges. You would think at a Christian college, the very, this is the place where the truth of God's word should be vigorously defended. When children are taught that our ancestors crawled out of the ocean eons ago, have we not relegated the creation in Adam and Eve to fairy tale status? So, again, it's the same thing when scientists and academicians and even like this author makes the claim that it's a work of fiction and that we're wasting our time searching for the mythological Noah's Ark or the substantiations of the Bible. But it's interesting how much archaeology, geography, and language have consistently pointed out that the Bible is rooted and grounded and connected to history. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Happy to take your call. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. I've been talking a little bit about the Bible and the claim that um, it's a work of fiction or mythology or fairy tale. And um, most assuredly, the Bible is not a fairy tale. In fact, the Bible is God-breathed. Paul writes to Timothy from prison saying, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, the author basically said that people quote and misquote the Bible in order to sort of allow it to accommodate their own uh, worldview. I, I don't dispute the fact that people twist, pervert, and distort the Scripture. But I don't think Paul is twisting, perverting, and distorting the Scripture. It's human authors wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, according to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why this divinely woven text of nearly three quarters of a million words is in perfect harmony from the start to the finish and contains no contradictions, even though its 66 books have 40 different authors from different walks of life written in three different languages and taking nearly 16 centuries to complete. So... 
pause and think about it for just a moment. It just so happens that it was in the 13th century in 1250 that the Bible was divided into chapters. And at that time, Cardinal Hugo incorporated chapter divisions into the Latin Bible. His divisions, although for convenience, weren't always accurate. However, essentially those same chapter divisions have persisted to this very day. In 1551, Robert Estienne introduced a Greek New Testament with the inclusion of verse divisions. He did not fix verses for the Old Testament. So the first entire English Bible to have verse divisions was the Geneva Bible, which a person called and asked about the Geneva Bible in 1560. So there are 7,959 verses. There's 181,253 words in the Greek New Testament. So the New Testament statistics are 7,959 verses. The longest book in the New Testament is the book of Acts. The shortest book is 3 John. Then you have the four Gospels. You have one historical book, and you have 22 epistles. So this author clearly has no idea what she's talking about. And so, time and time again, the historicity of the Bible has been confirmed by biology, geology, and astronomy. Now, again, I know that it's come up for debate and... uh, And I'm going to even use the word conflict. And although the Bible may not always agree with naturalistic hypothesis, it is not in conflict with any true established scientific facts. So the Bible basically says in the opening sentence, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the philosophical materialist or naturalist might say, no, it wasn't. There's no evidence in this physical universe that there's a God who created it. Now, again, imagine that assertion. There is no evidence (laughs) in the physical universe that God created it, except for maybe the fact that the actual existence of the universe constitutes evidence. Now, in archaeology, at least over the last 100 years, has brought to light a treasure trove of biblical truths that scholars have questioned or doubted for centuries, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the basalt stone containing the House of David inscription, a 7th century B.C. amulet scroll bearing the name of God, and a stone bearing the name and title of Pontius Pilate, the Judean procurator who ordered the execution of Jesus Christ. The Bible is without doubt the best documented book from the ancient world with more than 24,000 whole or partial biblical manuscripts in existence. No other document of antiquity has nearly as much evidence to confirm its reliability. 
Another attestation to the Bible's divine authorship is the vast number of detailed biblical prophecies that have come true exactly as foretold. We see the psalmist, for example, telling of the crucifixion of Jesus nearly a thousand years before it occurred in Psalm 22, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Simply put, it would be impossible for human beings to have seen so far into the future with such exact precision and accuracy, not once, not twice, not dozens of times, but hundreds of times. Indeed, it would be completely illogical to believe these proven prophecies are anything other than the work of God. Incidentally and amazingly, probability experts tell us the mathematical odds of just 48 prophecies regarding one person, that is, think Jesus, coming true as foretold are 1 in 10 followed by 157 zeros. But the greatest proof that the Bible is not a fairy tale is the countless number of lives that have been transformed by its powerful truths. Using the Spirit of God, the holy truths of the Bible have turned millions of sinners into saints. Drug addicts have been cured by it. Homosexuals have been set free by it. Derelicts and deadbeats have been transformed by it. Hardened criminals reformed by it. Sinners rebuked by it. Hate turned into love by it. And no amount of reading Cinderella or Snow White or the Seven Dwarves can affect such change in the soul of man. I am willing to concede that works of fiction can be powerful, illuminating, transformative, but they can't take you from darkness into light, from death into life. The Bible does possess a dynamic and transforming power that's possible because it's truly God's word. So in light of all of that, the greater question then is, how could someone not believe in these convincing, God-breathed, error-free, life-transforming truths? Unfortunately, the answer is an easy one. God has said that if we do not open our hearts to him, he won't open our eyes to the truth. And so... It makes perfect sense that people remain convinced that the Bible is a tall tale from long ago. This is Gina Geraci. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Easy to do. You just pick up that phone. You dial the number 303-873-1935. And 
You know, I love, love, love talking about the Bible. And I love, love, love talking about everything associated with the Bible. You know, the 10 Old Testament books most referred to in the New Testament are Isaiah. It's referenced some 419 times in 23 New Testament books. The book of Psalms is quoted 414 times in 23 books. The book of Genesis is quoted 250 times in 19 books. The book of Deuteronomy is quoted 208 times in 21 books. And the list goes on and on. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Leviticus, Numbers. And so for the person who says that the Old Testament really doesn't matter, can't really even appreciate the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, the 10 most frequently quoted or cited passages is Psalm 110, verse 1, which is quoted 18 times. So what is it about that psalm that people found so important? But I guess that's another, maybe that's a question for Tough Question Tuesday. I'll talk about that. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Eric, welcome to the program. Hello, young man. Hello. I have a question. I heard a commercial just before uh, we came back. You came back on the air and it talked about like a Christian and Jewish fellowship or something, asking for money to help some folks out over there. Right. And I just was curious, does a Christian of the type that you are believe that Jews are like going to heaven or are saved? Uh, what do you make of Jews who don't? don't today believe in Jesus? Well, the same way I think of Gentiles who don't believe in Jesus. So both Jews and Gentiles who don't believe in Jesus are by very definition not saved. In other words, my simple biblical understanding is people are saved because they have a right relationship with God and Christ. And people are lost because they don't. And so to your question, are the Jews saved in the sense of forgiven of their sin, cleansed and reconciled to God apart from Christ? The answer is no. Are the Jews the chosen people, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6? If you read carefully, it says, God says, for, you're, for you are a people holy, that means set apart. To the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But that doesn't make them automatically saved. What I would point out is that the Jewish people are chosen for what big purpose? The great big purpose is to bring forth the Messiah. Well, that's happened. Were the Jews also chosen to be custodians of the revelation given by God in the Bible? Yeah, that's true. 
So no one, no Jew, no Gentile is saved. According to the New Testament, the Bible says no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The, the Apostle Paul said, there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. And so John the Baptist, who's a Jew, warned his Jewish audience against trusting their Jewishness, their lineage, to make them right with God. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, "We well, Abraham's our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. And so no matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, black, white, male, female, you have to repent and trust Christ. Does everybody believe what I just said? No. But you asked you didn't ask everybody's opinion, you asked mine. <laughs> so there you have it. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, Michael. Good day to you, Gino. Um, Hi. My, my um, inquiry has to do with uh, we have 66 books in the Bible. Most Christians read that the Catholics have 71, and the Ethiopian Christians have like 81, and then you know there's the Apocrypha, and you now I mean the Book of Enoch. Why wasn't you know I mean why are the different Bibles uh, have different books in them? And, uh, which one has the most well, uh, unfortunately, your 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 connection is really really bad. You keep going in and out, so it's very very difficult for me to understand um, all that you're saying. But from the gist of it, I, you're asking me a number of different questions about um, the canon of scripture, why certain Catholics or Protestants have certain books. Um, and why others don't, and then I sort of got the uh, impression that you are asking the question of why isn't the book of Enoch in the Bible? So maybe we could just sort of narrow it down to a, a specific question, and then I'll try and give it a stab. Let's just narrow it down to why does the Ethiopian Catholics have, or Christians have 81 books, I don't even know what they are, and ours has 66. Yeah, I had a, a caller call in about Ethiopian uh, Bible, and I'm, I'm trying to find out the answer to that question. I actually don't know the answer to that question. I don't know um, how many books uh, the Ethiopian church believes in, in, in what's called canon and so um, or why so I think there's a, a superficial 
um, site that just sort of gives me basic information. Like um, there, there's a group. It's called the Ethiopian Orthodox Tiwahedo Church and the Eretrian Church. And according to uh, their websites, they they list 81 books, which gives it the most. I'm I'm going to say the the largest number of books in any what 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 people would call Christendom, if you will. Um, and and I and and again, I I'm wondering, um, even though some of the books are considered canonical. They're, like, difficult to locate. So they include a bunch of books that other people also include, like the Maccabees or what's called the Hebrew Proto-Canon. But I, I know we have a very difficult connection, but if you don't mind holding, I'll give it a stab, okay? This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Gino Geraci, and let's see if is Michael still on the line. So, Michael, are you still there? Okay. So let's let's try and make some sense out of your question. Okay, about the Ethiopian um, um, question. My question is nonsensical. No, 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 no. It's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. So, so, so they have this broad canon of what's acceptable. But what I would point out is that they accept the ortho, they're called the Tiwahidu, or another name is uh, the Bible translations into the Ethiopian language, like Gis and uh, Amarek and uh, Amharic. And so, to their credit, they only accept the 27 books. Um, the, the 27 books of the Christian proto-canon, which is accepted across Christendom. But so they have this broader acceptance of, of a book called Josephon, Synodos, the Book of the Covenant, the Ethiopic Clement, and what's called the Didascal or the Didascalia, which is um, a, a book a church book that had 43 ch- chapters. It's different from the Didascalia Apostolorum, which which was a book that was literally um, circulating um, in the first century about church order. So it, it would it would appear that many of the books that are accepted in Roman Catholicism, like Tobit, Judith, Esther, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees, are also included in their, in their canon of, of, of Scripture. And so, um, so they seem to have latched on to a number of different, um, I'm going to use the word, traditions, in in the placement of of books in the Bible, and so that's the best answer I can give at this point. <laughs> did, did, did those books give additional clarity to the sixty six books that we have 
Uh, well, I think that's a yeah, that's a fair question, and what I guess what I would say is that those books did provide information. So, so is the information um, correct, or or does it rise to the level of the Bible? The problem that I think is that the apocrypha has demonstrable errors. For example, Tobit was supposedly alive when Jeroboam staged his revolt in 931 B.C., and he was still alive when the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom of Israel in 721. This means that he lived over 200 years. Now, long life is a possibility in the Bible, but usually after the Genesis flood and after, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people didn't live for 200-plus years. Other examples could be cited. So, so the way that I think about it is the apocryphal books were, were rejected primarily because they made no claim, like the Scripture does, about revelation. By the way, the New Testament I, I, I alluded to earlier, you know, quotes almost every book in the Old Testament. But the Apocrypha is not quoted. So the New Testament doesn't refer to the Apocrypha. It does in Jude 14 and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, but it doesn't cite it as Holy Scripture. So so the reason why the Protestant reformers rejected it is because it had no claim to revelation. It was never cited. It was rejected by the Jews. It isn't on any of the earliest lists of of the church order. And it was even rejected by Catholic scholars. And then there's also, in my view, in many scholars' views, no evidence of inspiration. So, but to your point, do they provide historical insights and give us information that is helpful and even profitable? I think that the answer is yes. It's just fascinating to, you know, when you read the Bible, there's so much of it that you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to kind of explain to you, or you listen to different scholars, and, um, you know, there's ways to have that information brought to your knowledge to help you understand that it might be beneficial, right? Right. So... As you can imagine, many, many people have literally devoted their lives to the questions you're asking. <laughs> well, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I sure do love the Lord. So, I mean, I just hope that the Holy Spirit will give me all the knowledge that I need when I need it. Well, and you know, that's a good outlook and attitude because we believe that, that the Bible gives gives us sufficient information. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us everything we need to know to have a right relationship with God and Christ. Right. Well, that was helpful. Now, I know that Enoch walked with God and then he was gone, and that's the only thing that I know about him. But And so does the book of Enoch give more information about him? Did he write more about himself? Well, one of the one of the problems with the book of Enoch is 
is you've got several books of of Enoch. So it's a part of what's called the pseudepigraphal works that are attributed to Enoch, who was the great-grandfather of Noah, like you just said. And Enoch was the son of Jared. And so there's a piece of ancient literature... And it, it makes false claims as to its authorship. So some people don't even believe that Enoch wrote the book. Um, and so the book of Enoch is accepted as canonical in the Coptic church in Ethiopia. And it is accepted as canonical by the Eretrian Orthodox Church, which we alluded to earlier when we were talking about, you know, the people of Ethiopia. And then there's a second Enoch, which is the book of the secrets of Enoch and third Enoch. And Michael Heiser has done some good work on this subject. And so if you're really interested, what I would recommend is you type in Michael Heiser and Enoch. And um, and he, 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 he talks about it a lot. There's fragments of the book of Enoch in Aramaic and Hebrew, which was found by the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it does have a, a rich history of usage. And much of the book of Enoch is what's called apocalyptic. So it gives vivid imagery and it predicts doom and the final judgment of evil. And then there's a heavy emphasis on angelology and demonology. And a lot and a large portion of the book is devoted to a, to filling the backstory of Genesis chapter six, verses one through four on the story of the Nephilim. Right. Yeah, we just had a, a weird thought pop into my head about, you know, building architecture, the old architecture back with the Gothic stuff that had the, the gargoyles, gargoyles and things like that on the buildings. You know, I just wondered how much of that people brought from that kind of study. Well, all the more reason that, again, it doesn't rise to the level of the criteria necessary to be included as sacred scripture, either by the Jews by, or by the, the reformers. Hey, I got to go, but thank you for your call. Bye, you know. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. I guess I'll be back soon, hopefully, prayerfully. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.